0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30am for Sunday school and 10.45am for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6pm. On Wednesday, we meet at 6pm for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Romans chapter 1. I'm saying I love that song because... I hope that the gravity and the seriousness of the preaching of the word is never lost on us. It's an unfortunate thing in our, our modern context that in lots of churches um, and maybe even in some of our own language, uh, the way we talk about preaching and worship is that the music portion is the worship and the preaching is, uh, well, it's just preaching. And you'll even hear people refer to the the music portion in some Uh, church settings in that way. Uh, When we finish the worship, then we'll do the preaching. And it's an unfortunate thing because in the preaching of God's word, we hear God's voice to us. And in as much as hopefully the preacher today, our pastor normally, we, we, we prepare, we study, we read, we try to accurately represent God's word so that as we speak and as we preach, it is not our words, and it's not our thoughts, it's not our opinions, but it's the word of God coming to us. And so we truly do come here today to receive from God, from his word. Um, Our guest speaker this weekend for D-Now, his name was Cameron Cole, and uh, he's a youth pastor at a church in Birmingham, Alabama called the Cathedral Church of the Advent, which if you can believe it, is an evangelical gospel preaching Episcopalian church. And as those are few and far between, I came across a few videos of him. And he's a solid uh, foundational kind of youth pastor. And he has a a ministry called Rooted Ministries, which is uh, out there putting out videos and blogs and books to help youth pastors like me, keep ourselves centered in the gospel, centered in the word and uh, doing our job hopefully as the Lord would have us. So uh, I sent out the invite. He was able to come for the weekend. Uh, He has family that lives in Orlando, so I told him they could take today and go up and spend time with their family as they're leaving tomorrow. So he was unable to be with us to preach today, but if you want to learn more about him, you can always just go online and look up Cameron Cole or Rooted Ministries, and you can hear a little bit about uh, what we learned about this weekend. Our theme, if you cannot tell by the TVs and the banner and everything, is the lies we believe and we're going to get a little bit into that theme today. But first, I wanted to tell you a story from Genesis chapter 25. You don't have to turn there, just listen to me. It's a familiar story. And that is that Jacob and Esau, two sons of Isaac, Esau was born first. Esau had the blessing, Esau had the inheritance. It was his. An ancient Near Eastern culture, and that culture, The firstborn was everything. Firstborn sons were everything. They received the birthright. They received the blessing. They received the inheritance. It was theirs. Esau was a hunter. And one day he was out hunting and he was famished, exhausted. And he wanted nothing more than just something good to eat. And just to sit down and rest. And in a moment of weakness he came across Jacob. Jacob. Jacob was preparing a pot of stew. And Esau, who knows what the conversation was, I would give anything to have some of that stew. Jacob, being the trickster that he was, what his name means, said, I'll tell you what, if you sell me your birthright, promise me your birthright and the blessing and the inheritance, I'll give you some of this stew. And as stupid and unbelievable as it sounds, Esau said, Okay. I'll give you all that just for a cup of soup. It's an odd story, a bizarre story. Maybe Esau didn't mean it. Maybe he just wanted the soup and he was just going to, I was just tricking you or whatever. But later, Jacob ends up, if you remember, making sure that it happens and deceiving not only Esau, but his father Isaac into giving him the blessing. Now we know this was God's will all along through Jacob. But in this story, we see something that's a little reminiscent of our own lives, certainly reminiscent of our culture. Even as believers, we might be tempted to do this very same thing, and that is to sell our birthright, to sell our inheritance, to trade off our blessing for a cup of soup, something that can satisfy just for a moment, something that will fill us for a while and then leave us wanting more, something that will quench that hunger for a moment, only to make the hunger come back later. Actually says that he despised his birthright. He hated it. He treated it in that moment with contempt because he was so enamored With his own self-gratification. This momentary satisfaction with the soup. The stew. I told the kids in Sunday school. It's an interesting thing. That if you read the story in Genesis. You find these little details. And and no detail in the Bible is there by accident. You find these little details. That Jacob was cooking a red stew. And Esau was also given the name Edom. Edom. Which in Hebrew sounds like the word for red. And some commentators have said, okay, so while this is a historical story, while Esau really did trade his birthright for a cup of this red stew, there's something a little deeper going on here. And there's something a little more symbolic happening. In that as Esau, who is also called Edom, meaning red, trades everything that he deserves and everything that is rightfully his for this pot of red stew. It's this symbol that he's actually serving himself. His desire is not for the things of God. His desire is not for the noble things of his birthright and his heritage and his legacy and his dad and honoring his parents. But it's for Esau. He's looking out for himself. He desires to worship and serve himself, and in this moment, he gives in, and in doing so, loses everything. In Genesis 1, what does it say about man? That God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them in his image. Let us make man in our image. You know, what it means to be made in the image of God, to have his fingerprints on us as human beings, to have his blessing on us. And he said, it is good. I'm pleased with what I've made. I'm pleased with mankind. And he gives them the blessing to be lords over the earth, the lords over all creation, to be fruitful and to multiply. And he gives them everything to eat. He gives them everything good. He gives us everything good. Adam and Eve had a high calling, a high purpose, a wonderful inheritance in the garden, a great blessing. What do we have? One well, of the old church confessions says that the chief end of man, the very goal and purpose of man, our our entire goal in life as creatures of God is to bring glory to God and to enjoy him forever. That's what Revelation chapter 4 says. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and blessing. For by your will, everything that exists was created for your glory, for your blessing, for your honor. Especially man who you made in your image. To bring glory to God and to enjoy him. That's our blessing. That's our calling. That's our inheritance, if you will. Adam and Eve come across the serpent, made its way prominently into our kind of image for the weekend because we're talking about these lies, the deceptions of Satan. And what better picture of that than in the garden when the serpent appears in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and tempts the woman. And what does it say? She saw that the fruit was a delight to the eyes it was desired to make one wise. And what kind of tricks did the serpent use? Did God really say? Causing to doubt God's word. Causing them to question God's word. Causing them to doubt God's goodness. God knows that you will not die when you eat the fruit. He just knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him. He's keeping something good from you. So why not give in to the delight of your eyes and the lust of your flesh and the pride of life and just take the fruit so you can be like God. Eve in her weakness and Adam and his weakness fall. And in fact, that's what we've come to call it in Genesis chapter three, the fall. Satan using his deceiving trickery fools these people into giving up their divine birthright and blessing for momentary satisfaction that brings eternal death. As Esau gave up everything that was good for him for a pot of soup. And we, with our purpose, our goal to glorify God and enjoy him forever, daily, daily exchange it for things that can never satisfy grasping at purpose and goals and aims and fulfillment and things that can never bring it eternally. And in that way, we're no different from Adam and Eve and we're no different from Esau. And we fall prey to Satan's tricks and his deception, not understanding this, that Satan hates you. Satan hates you. Satan hates me. He despises you. As a creature of God, with his image, with his blessing, with his dominion, Satan hates you. And Peter says he's like a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking whom he can devour. Who he can destroy. And leave nothing but a dead rotting carcass he tempts us with desirable things he makes plausible arguments he makes it look great but the end is death specifically this weekend we've been talking about how satan fools our minds and our hearts and how he comes in our society and our our culture telling specific lies that he knows fits with our culture He knows what the media is saying. He knows what pop culture is saying. He knows, just like he did with Eve, he knows where the weakness is. He knows what to say. He knows what to offer. He knows how to make it appeal. And if we're not careful, even as believers, we can be tempted to say that sounds great, that looks great, and to buy into it without understanding that it's contrary to God's word and therefore contrary to our good and God's glory. Now, in Romans chapter 1, we read about this exchange, this bad deal that we've made with Satan. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pause for prayer, and then we'll dig into this text today. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, and we ask him right now to be with us, to open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive what you have for us today, that you might cultivate in us the image of your son Jesus, that you might draw unbelieving hearts to yourself this morning, that you would indeed show us Christ and reveal your glory through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. These couple of verses have been our theme for the weekend. Uh, the student, hello, the, student, the the students in their general sessions with Cameron uh, were going over three specific lies that the culture tells us. Um, the first one was the lie of "be yourself." This is a uh, this is the motivational speech of the century to students. They hear it at school. They might even hear it from their parents grandparents, TV, and it's very simple, and it sounds so pleasing, doesn't it? Be yourself. Now, on one hand, we agree. Don't try to be someone else. Be who God made you to be. Use his gifts. But what the culture often means by be yourself is you do you. Take advantage of whatever feelings and desires and thoughts come naturally to you. And don't let anybody tell you that anything that you think or feel or desire or want is wrong. The next lie that we talked about is that you can live the Christian life on your own terms. And Cameron taught us that Christianity, being a believer, is being married to God. It's being in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ that isn't just about me being me and me doing me. But I come into a relationship with him. And just like in a marriage, how there's submission and give and take. And there's sacrifice, living on each other's terms. That's what marriage to Jesus is like. As his bride, we submit to him. We follow his lordship. And then last night, we ended with the lie of self-made religion. That we determine what truth is. That what we feel and what we think about God and his truth trumps what he has revealed in his word. I know the Bible says this. This is the culture we live in. You you hear it every day probably if you had a spiritual conversation every day with someone who's an unbeliever. I know what the Bible says. I just simply don't believe that. He gave the example of a person he knows who uh, dabbles in a little Christianity and takes a little Islam and takes a little Judaism and maybe a little Eastern mysticism and kind of just mixes it all together to make a religion that he wants. Truths to fit his own liking. And I like this what Jesus says. But I like what Buddha says here. And I like what this guy says. just live by kind of all of it. As if truth is sort of a buffet that you can just step up to. And take what you want and leave what you don't want. And whatever makes you happy. Not understanding that all of this is a terrible Terrible deception of Satan. Who wants nothing more than for you to believe in yourself. He wants nothing more than for you just to follow your own thoughts and imaginations about God. Why not make a God in your own image? Why not determine what truth is for yourself? I read some old dusty book and listen to some people talk for an hour or whatever on Sunday morning and think, Well, this is truth. Why not just make your own truth? Why not believe your truth? And in their home group sessions, they talk through this passage, Romans chapter one, verses 21 through 25, this bad deal. Paul says there in verse 25 that we've exchanged the glory of God. We've exchanged the very worship of God, the thing we were created for. Remember that purpose? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We've exchanged that, our blessing, our inheritance for a lie. And Paul says this is the height of foolishness. We've made fools of ourselves because we've fallen for Satan's lies and chosen sin and idolatry and worship of ourselves over God, his word, truth, and glorifying him. Now, the first thing Paul targets in verse 21 is our minds, that we have empty minds. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Futile in their thinking. Now, the context leading up to this little brief passage in Romans is the context of judgment. That God is coming in judgment to the world. That he's going to come and pour out his wrath on sin and unbelief and wipe it clean. And in the midst of that, Paul says, yes, there's hope in the gospel, verses 16 and 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save those who believe. So judgment is coming, but the gospel comes as good news to save us from that coming judgment. And then Paul begins to reveal why judgment is coming. Starting there in verses 18 through what we read today, Paul says that people can look around and see evidence of God. He says that the evidence of God is everywhere in creation. That God has made himself known in everything that has been made. But Paul says there's a problem. People don't look around at creation and the skies, a beautiful waterfall, or feel the breeze. People don't look at those things and naturally say, glory to God for this. Who created this? What is man's natural response paul says it's idolatry that because of our fallenness and sin our empty minds our darkened hearts our foolishness we see creation we see the evidence of the creator but instead we worship the creation really we're worshiping ourselves just like adam and eve face to face with god every single day with the goodness and the faithfulness of god all around them yet they choose still to serve themselves, to make idols of themselves, to worship themselves. Like Esau, who had everything he ever wanted, but gave it up to serve himself. That's what we do. And Paul says that our minds, our thinking is futile. The word futile literally means vain. That all of our thinking and our logic and our reasoning is vanity because of our brokenness and sin. The kids learned a word uh, called noetic, the noetic effects of the fall, that when Adam and Eve fell into sin, something happened to our minds. That's what the noetic effects of the fall are, those things that affect our minds and our intellect. It wasn't just this really bad thing that happened and now we're all sinful. No, it affected every single part of us even down to the way we think so that we cannot even think clearly because of sin. Satan has duped us out of being able to think clearly. And instead, our thinking becomes empty. Vain. Paul says, futile. Now think about this word, empty, vain. uh, In Ecclesiastes, we we think about the the vanity of life and chasing after things that are fleeting and passing away. And that's really what vanity reveals to us is it's not just an emptiness, it's a lack of purpose. It's the lack of a goal. It's the lack of a real motivation and drive for anything. And what do we say our purpose was at the beginning? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. A wonderful purpose, a wonderful blessing. That which brings eternal life and joy with him forever. But our thinking has no aim. Our thinking has no goal. Our thinking has no purpose. And so we exchange our God-given, blessed purpose of knowing him and enjoying him. And we willingly exchange it for sin. Next, Paul says we have darkened hearts. Came futile in their thinking, verse 21, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is darkness? Darkness is one of those things that's not really a thing, right? It's the absence of a thing. And that thing that darkness is absent of is light. That because our thinking is empty... We have no goal, we have no purpose, we have no aim. We miss it and we've exchanged it for a lie. Our hearts are darkened and we have no light. We have no light for our path. We have no heat, no warmth, no comfort because we have no purpose. We've forgotten our purpose, our calling, our blessing to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In our society, the mantra is, Follow your heart. Trust your heart. Be true to your heart. We read a little snippet of an article from the Huffington Post in which uh, a person said that your heart speaks to you in words of comfort and truth. Your heart will never lie to you. What does the Bible say? Jeremiah seventeen nine. The, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And then it says this, who can know it? Who can trust it? But this is what our society says. This is what our culture is telling our kids. Hey, be yourself. Follow your heart. Trust your heart. That's the worst advice you could tell anybody. If somebody calls you for advice, you, hey, just... Just do what your heart says is right. No, don't do that. Filter it through something. Adam and Eve's heart led them into sin and death and destruction. And it so often does us as well. Our culture says that if it feels right naturally, it must be right naturally. One of the ways that this has come out most prominently in our society, in our culture, is in the arena of sexuality and gender. And the argument is made by the world that if my body feels this way. Yes, I know that God has established marriage as between a man and a woman. I know that's what the Bible says. I know that that's what tradition and history have led us to at this point, but my body, my desires, my passions, my attractions, they lead me over here. Same-sex attraction, homosexuality, and our society says, hey, if it feels right, and you didn't make a choice to feel that way, here's here's where it goes wrong. It must be the way God made you and it must therefore be okay. Now my question for them is this, how far does that logic go? I'm not gonna shock you with things that exist in our world today. You can watch the news and see them. You can Google any number of alities and find the things that people are naturally attracted to. So my question for the world is this, how far does that logic go? How far will that reasoning last? Bestiality? Pedophilia? How far does it go? If you say that your feelings and your attractions and your desires are okay, because they come to you naturally and you were born that way, what about the person who says they were born that way over here? I, I submit to you today that from the Bible, From the Bible, the truth of God says, regardless of what you feel or think or desire or want, God's truth trumps that. And whatever those desires and those attractions and those feelings are have to submit to the truth of God and the Lordship of Jesus. And so our hearts cannot be trusted. Our feelings are not to be trusted in and of themselves. Our desires, our passions, our wants, our attractions are not to be trusted. Ecclesiastes agrees with Jeremiah. Ecclesiastes says that the heart of man is full of wickedness. And it leads to nothing but madness. And then death. This is the road that Satan wants to put you on. The road that you might be on this morning. If you're an unbeliever and you're apart from Jesus Christ, your, your, mind, your mind is still empty. You might think you have all the answers and have it all figured out. But your mind is leading you somewhere else. Your heart is still darkened apart from Jesus. Even as believers, we still struggle with the sinful man as part of our life in this world. Paul says to reckon that man dead, to be crucified in our flesh to Jesus and to live in the spirit that leads to life. We can still be deceived too, even as believers. Our minds still want to wander back to that time of emptiness and not be renewed, uh, according to Romans twelve two by the word of God. Our hearts still want to wander back into that period of darkness before the light of the gospel changed us. We can still hear the voice of the serpent in our lives. These kids, even if they're believers, through high school, with their friends, especially if they go to a secular college or university, they're going to hear the voice of the serpent every single day. And he's going to start the same way he started with Eve. Did God really say No, surely not. Surely God is just holding something good from you. Surely God just doesn't want you to be happy. If that's the God you think is God, then that God is mean and judgmental and bigoted and he just doesn't want you to have what makes you happy. And Satan tricks people every single day into buying into this. Not knowing that our minds are empty and our thinking is futile and our hearts are darkened. Thankfully, Paul says we have a better deal. Verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Our little um, theme verse for the weekend, if you were to see the front of the t-shirts, which you might have already, is from John 17, 17. Your word is truth. And Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, presumably in the garden, before he's about to go to the cross... He prays for his disciples and he prays for those who will believe in him through their word. That's you and me. And he says his prayer, almost the climax of his prayer is, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Set them apart. The world and its lies and the serpent's voice and his lies and deception and sin and idolatry. All of those things are going to be pulling at you at these kids, at these students, he's pulling at them. Come over here, do this, worship this, serve this. And Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart, protect them, guard them, make them holy by your truth. That's the agent by which God makes us holy. It's the agent by which God protects us from these lies. That's the agent that God uses to confront these lies, his truth. And then it says, your word is truth. Paul says that we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Listen to the foolishness. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God Our purpose, our destiny, our inheritance to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We've traded it in to serve the creature. Ultimately to serve ourselves. Because what are we serving that are idols that don't just turn around serving us? Whether it's money or materials or success or notoriety or happiness or fame. All of that's really just serving ourselves and loving ourselves and worshiping ourselves. And Paul says it's the height of foolishness because you're giving up the glory of God for that. 1 John tells us that the things in the world are passing away. Those things that lead us into that road, the desires of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those same things that tempted Eve, the same things that tempt us, they belong to the world and they're dying They lead to death, but the one who abides in the will of God lives forever. But we've exchanged the forever and the glory and the eternity for right here, right now, satisfaction, pleasure, desires, wants, ultimately the lies of Satan. Then in verse 25, we see that we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We've exchanged truth for a lie. So, what's the better deal? If we've willingly traded in the truth for a lie, Jesus comes and says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus says, This is the kicker the truth will set you free so there's a better offer, there's a better deal you've already exchanged the truth of God for a lie because we're all dead in our sins and trespasses we're all here but Jesus comes and says here's truth, now trade in your lies for truth and receive the truth of the gospel and the truth of the word of God and give me your lies trade in the lies for truth And by the truth, you'll be set free and you'll be made righteous and holy. In the midst of emptiness, in the midst of emptiness, vanity, aimless, purposelessness thinking, God brings fulfillment. God brings light to darkness. God brings fulfillment to emptiness. Truth brings us face to face with our lies, and says, believe this, not that. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus enters into a period of temptation. And for whatever reason, we don't know all the details. We have this sandwiched in here between Jesus' baptism and the rest of his ministry. And I think Matthew especially, because that's where he puts it, he's intending to show us That Jesus has come to do what Adam and Eve could not. That Jesus has come to do what we could not. To look at these three temptations in the face. The lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. Those things that tempted Eve, that tempted Adam, that tempt us every single day. And Jesus each and every time successfully defeated Satan. How did he do it? Not by zapping Satan into oblivion, not by sending him back to hell immediately, but he says, thus says the Lord. Jesus, the son of God, who could have destroyed Satan right then and right there, chooses to fight temptation and to fight Satan's lies by saying, this is what the word of God says. And that's the offer we have here this morning. Through the preaching of the word. As you take the word home and you read it and you study it. And you come to church and Sunday school and Bible studies. And God continually is offering his truth. His word as what? As a weapon against the lies of Satan. By which Satan will flee from you. Through which we can filter. Desires. Wants. Feelings. The thoughts of the world, one of the images in their workbook was a pair of glasses and how the Bible functions as a lens by which we see the world, by which we gauge truth, so that when we hear something, we can distinguish the voice of God from the voice of the serpent. Why? Because we know truth. That God has had mercy on our empty minds and our darkened hearts and has said, here's light, here's truth, and this is what leads you to your purpose, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Paul says to be renewed in your mind, Romans 12, two. Ezekiel promises a new heart to those who are part of this new covenant. The world is in chaos. It's getting worse. The promises of the world are empty and they offer nothing. Our world celebrates this. Our world puts people up on a pedestal who buy into Satan's lies. One of the examples that is most recent in our popular culture that we talked about this weekend is Caitlyn Jenner. Formerly Bruce Jenner, who gave up his family, gave up everything he was, all the blessings that had been afforded him in this life, an Olympic athlete, acclaimed, notoriety, money, wealth, success, and chooses to say, no, I'm going to live by my own little truth, which is that I'm a woman abandoning his family, abandoning truth, abandoning any sense of reality and buys into the lies of Satan and we prop him up and give him an award and say this is courage this is values we scoff at that don't we? this is stupid we do the same thing every day in our own minds, in our own hearts we prop ourselves up in our foolishness buying into Satan's lies without stopping to filter it through the word of God and the truth of scripture. The world offers nothing but darkness. It celebrates all this great stuff, but the end of it is just death. Not only physical, but spiritual death. And at the end, what has been made of one's life when they buy into Satan's lies? Nothing. Satan loves to see lives misspent for his lies. Satan loves to see lives wasted on his lies. He loves to see us forget our purpose as creatures of God to glorify him and enjoy him. He loves to see us glorify ourselves and enjoy ourselves while missing that purpose and then we die and we're his. He loves it. But Jesus offers a better deal today. Jesus offers us himself. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the way, follow me. I am the truth, believe me. I am the life, find eternal life in me. Three offers, three temptations. Will you fall for Satan's desires, the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, or will you fall for Jesus, the way, the truth, the life? We sang a song today, mighty fortress is our God. And I was reminded of um, Martin Luther (laughs) who wrote the hymn, talked about him a lot in October, the 500th anniversary of the Protestant reformation. My wife and I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Germany this past August, September, right before um, the junk hit the fan here with Irma. We came right back into the midst of that. But in Germany, we got to kind of follow Luther's uh, footsteps from Wittenberg, where he nailed the 95 theses on the church door, to uh, where he translated the New Testament into German. And ultimately, on our last day in Germany, we were in the city of Worms. That's how you say it. It's real fancy, isn't it? You can just say Worms the city of worms and the place where he stood is no longer there but there is a courtyard and there's two big uh, the modern monuments it's very it's very personal there's two big shoes on the ground and the whole purpose of this was on this place presumably was where the bishop's palace stood and at the end of all of Luther's controversies he was called before a cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church and the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. It was big stuff. And he was given one choice. You can either recant all this stuff you've been saying against the Roman Catholic Church, and you can accept the Roman Catholic Church as the truth, or keep teaching your stuff, you know, the Bible and faith and grace and Luther knew what hap- what would happen. For all he knew, if he said, "No, I'm not going to recant, I'm going to stick to the truth of God's word, he could have very well been burned right there and right then. And he knew that. But he stood in that place, given this option, and he says, "I will not recant, because my conscience is held captive to the word of God. I can't help but teach and preach the things that I find here." Basically, burn me if you will, kill me if you will, imprison me if you will, but I'm not going to recant. Legend says he said, so help me, God. Here I stand. And these two shoes are there. Kind of hollowed out and you can put your feet in them and you're standing in Luther's shoes, big shoes to fill. You see the picture. And you're presumably in the same setting. So let's picture ourselves in that setting today. Faced with a decision. Follow God, live by his truth, live for his glory, serve the world, and serve Satan. In the line of that hymn we sang today, says, Luther said, let goods and kindred go. Let this mortal life also be given away. The body they may kill, but it's God's truth that abideth still. And his kingdom is the one that lasts forever. Old song says, build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. This world is nothing but shifting, shaky foundation on sand. Let's build our houses on the solid rock of truth. Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone the foundation being the apostles and the prophets. Let's live by truth and by doing so refute Satan's lies and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Thank you Lord for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come and study your word together. Bless our time of response now as we sing to you, as we praise your name that you might be exalted and glorified in everything. We ask all this in Jesus' name.